Hello, and welcome to Dialogue Sunday Gospel Study. Today is November 12th, 2023, and for purposes of tracking with the Come Follow Me program, the scripture selection we're working with today is a letter to the Hebrews. I am Chris Kimball. I'm conducting today on behalf of the Dialogue Foundation. I um, am joined by Michael Austin and Linda Hoffman Kimball, who are also Dialogue board members. Michael handling the technical details and participating. Um, Linda will be participating more extensively than usual today. We are using our webinar format on Zoom. We're running a live stream on Facebook and recording this program, which will be posted later. In the first issue of the journal, Father Eugene England wrote, my faith encourages my curiosity and awe. It thrusts me out into relationship with all creation and encourages me to enter into dialogue. To fulfill Gene's vision in the 21st century, we've made the current journal, all 55 years of archived issues and all of the digital offerings we produce, including this gospel study series, free for online users. There is a fantastic search function with that you can find on our website and uh, which will permit you to search the entire archive. Uh, subscriptions are important, and one of the best ways to support dialogue, in my opinion. Uh, however, for the long run, dialogue relies on contributions, and we ask for contributions. Please help us. We are building the Sustaining Dialogue Fund in order to carry this journal and associated offerings into the future, the next 50 years, if you will. We can, you can find more about all our offerings at dialoguejournal.com and specifically about the Sustaining Dialogue Fund at givetodialogue.com. Now, as I introduce people today, I'd like to remind everyone that we invite people to the Dialogue Gospel Study Program for their own voice. Nobody here today is speaking on behalf of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, on behalf of their present employer or any other organization unless they declare it, which is highly unusual. In that sense, I am opening today on behalf of the Dialogue Foundation, but if I say anything else uh, sensible or not sensible, it's my own voice and my own responsibility. Our teacher today is Susan Elizabeth Howell, uh, and Linda Kimball and James Glenn are also with us um, and participating in today's lesson. Linda is with us as a board member and frequent participant, and today has a prepared part of the lesson. James Glenn will offer the opening prayer. Um, by way of introduction, I first met James in person at a book's reading uh, and sighting and learned there that we have much in common, stories to tell, our own biographies, but in fact, um, we know each other and our um, maybe greatest claim to fame is that we are both spouses of famous women. I'm going to use that as our introduction today. Uh, our connection with Susan Howe, as I introduce Susan, our connection with Susan Howe dates from a baby shower before our daughter was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, shall I give the dates there? That's the late 1970s. Those long connections often mean more than all the accolades that have piled on Susan in the decades since. But I'm I'm going to use her own introduction, where she introduces herself this way. Susan Elizabeth Howe has always admired dialogue and the dialogue community. Her association began when she served as poetry editor for 10 years. She's an emeritus, emerita faculty member of the BYU English Department and currently the associate editor of BYU Studies. In her ward, she is currently the gospel doctrine teacher. So she has just taught Hebrews on uh, last week. Um, I'll, I'll let Susan describe whether how much of an overlap there is here today. She is married to a remarkably loving and supportive husband, Class Young, and looking forward to this opportunity. Um, we're going to start today with, uh, as an opening song, Lord Accept Our True Devotion. This, this is an arrangement by David Zabriskie, sung by the BYU Choir. Um, and our opening prayer will be offered by James Glenn. Uh, at, at closing, we have uh, a, a song, How Firm a Foundation, 
um, with uh, including verse 7, I hope, um, with text that is particularly relevant, and uh, the closing prayer to be announced. Our eternal heavenly parents, we are so grateful to be able to join together here today as members of a faith-filled community. We're grateful for the opportunity to be taught by Susan and by the Holy Spirit. We're grateful, Father, for the community that allows us to share ideas and to learn and grow, to enter into conversation about who you are and who we will become. We're grateful for the scriptures and for the door that they open into understanding life experiences and understanding eternity. We pray, Father, that your spirit will be with us here today to enlighten our minds, to open our understanding, and to bless our hearts with peace and with your love, and we say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I don't know why I'm showing up as Michael Austin. I'm going to fix that. But Susan, it's your your platform. You're you're muted. Okay, there. there it's, it's such an opportunity for me to be able to be here with such fine, sterling people that I really admire and respect. And I especially admire and respect their faith and their understanding of the gospel. Um, I wanted to begin this program with a quotation that was on Levina Fielding Anderson's um memorial service program that was held yesterday so and i it's on a it's on a powerpoint michael will you bring that up it's romans 8 uh, romans chapter 3 verses 38 and 39 and it says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, I thought that was such a an amazing um scripture to have on Levina's uh, program because it's so evidence is so such a such evidence of her life and how she lived uh, it represents the scripture represents both God's love for her and her love for God and she was such a great spirit I she radiated the love of God you know both, within her and that she was able to give. And I felt particular the de particular delight of her spirit in being in her presence every time we talked. Now, um, now we're going to be talking about the, um, back to Hebrews, which is the subject today. And there's a question as to who actually wrote Hebrews. Um, some think it was Paul, but many people don't think it was Paul. The Eastern Church seems to think that it was Paul, or the early Eastern Church and the Western Church doesn't. And there's a quotation that um, that kind of sums out, sums up the pro-argument, and it's from uh, Eusebius. He's quoting Clement and it's in Sidney B. Sperry's Paul's Life and Letters. And so here is, this is also a PowerPoint. Um, I think it is. The epistle of Paul, the epistle is Paul's, and that it was written to Hebrews in the Hebrew language. 
and that Luke translated it with zealous care and published it to the Greeks, whence it is that the whence it is that the same complexion of style is found in the translation of this of this epistle and in the Acts. Further, that the ordinary phrase Paul an apostle was not placed at the head of the epistle for good reason. For, he says, in writing to Hebrews, who had formed a prejudice against him and viewed him with suspicion, he was wise not to repel them at the beginning by setting his name there. And so, um, and that makes good sense, you know, uh, it what it is a kind of a cantankerous letter and that he didn't want to associate himself with it makes sense. And so... Um, it's a pretty good argument, but there. I think the arguments that he didn't write it are better, and so let me go through those. Um, all the epistles were placed in the New Testament in the order of how long they were, you know, so they went from the longest to the shortest, not from the date of composition. And this uh, epistle, which is one of the latter epistles, is just stuck on at the end, and it's much longer. Um, so it should have been much earlier in the organization, one of the first, uh, as a matter of fact. And so that suggests that it was written much later and then just added at the end of the collection of Paul's epistles. And uh, it begins without an introduction, of Paul as an apostle uh, and as an expression of his love for the people he's writing to. And something like that begins every other epistle. Um, and Hebrews begins as though it were a sermon. The style of writing doesn't show the, the writing ability of Paul. Um, from that first quotation from Levinas, you, you know, for I am not convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth. So he uses a lot of parallelism and he crescendos to the point he's trying to make. And he does that often. There's nothing like that in in uh, in Hebrews. The, the, the writing style is very different. Um, and it's Hebrews mostly scolds the the people it's being written to for not being good enough and for slipping away from the gospel of Christ. And Hebrews takes up a very different subject matter than the other epistles. And there's no references in that epistle to Paul as an apostle. Like he never says Paul the apostle or I as an apostle. Uh, and it's probably, it's likely that it was another, a younger follower of Paul. And then this is in the PowerPoint. There are several possible authors that have been um, listed as potential, potentially the authors of this, uh, of this epistle. First is Clement, who was a, a bishop of the Romans. So he would have been right with the Romans, but why would he be writing to them? And then there's Luke, who is the, the author of the gospel and Acts. And then there's Barnabas, who was a church leader in Antioch. Um, he sold all his property and gave the money to the church. So he was apparently a very good person, a very generous person and committed. Uh, and then Apollos is a possibility he was a Jew from Alexandria, and he was baptized and then learned more of Christ from Priscilla and Aquila, and then he preached in Ephesus. And then Timothy, who was a friend and devoted companion to Paul, and he accompanied Paul on many journeys. And I think it's likely that Timothy was the author. Uh, right at the end of the epistle, it says in the script written to the Hebrews from Italy by Timothy, but it's the wrong place. He wouldn't have been in Italy. He would have been somewhere else, because why would you write to the a group of people in near Rome if you were already there? 
But and and it was probably written between Paul's first and second imprisonment, when Paul went to Spain and Timothy went to Ephesus. And so this is likely to have been written to a Hebrew Christian community in Rome and possibly from Ephesus where Timothy was. Now, uh, there seems to have been a specific reason that this epistle was written. The content suggests that among the, 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 uh, the Roman Hebrew Christian community, uh, there was growing persecution. Um, Nero often used them as a scapegoat to blame the, any difficulty the Romans were experiencing and often to deflect attention uh, from what he himself has done. Now, here's a chat question I'd like you to think of and write chats about, and then we'll talk about it later. Um it seems like there are ways that we could be very much like those early Hebrews. Um, why are we tempted to fall away even from LDS beliefs we've held that have shown to be limited? You know, we are just as likely to say, oh, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to grow. Um, I'm just going to revert back to something I've uh, lived before. So we'll talk about that. Um, just in a few minutes, if you want to add chat features or add chats to that. Um, now, so there was this added persecution, uh, made many Hebrew Christians living around Rome think of leaving Christianity and identifying themselves as Jewish. Um, it's like, oh, <laughs> it was, you know, like, yeah, we like being Christian, but if we could just be Jewish and revert back to a, a Jewish identity, then they won't persecute us so much. And so there was a real temptation to do that. And Hebrews is written to encourage them to remain faithful to Christ and the Christian community. Um, and the argument is almost wholly based in doctrines and rituals Jews followed from the Old Testament and Mosaic law. And it showed how Christ is the fulfillment of those doctrines and the extension of those doctrines into a fuller picture of salvation. And the first three verses show how God has traditionally spoken through his prophets and now speaks through Jesus Christ. And this is um, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, and I'm going to read it. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ, who is faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. So, um, so to go back, um, to that Hebrews uses examples of faithful Old Testament prophets and leaders to encourage the Hebrews to remain strong and courageous. And often the author, the author of Hebrews threatens his audience with damnation <laughs> to get them to toe the line. So are there any chat uh, question answers about that might be relevant. Um, I have to unmute and I've done that. Okay. Yes. Yes. Let's see. Um, I won't throw in my own comment yet, but uh, um, we could all see the names. Uh, we might be persecuted today, and and by whom and for what is a question. Uh, maybe for wokeness. Uh -huh. uh, another, uh, Lori says, growth is exhilarating, but it's also exhausting. It's so easy to fall back into beliefs that we no longer agree with, because our minds and hearts are weary. Eventually, for me anyway, after a period of rest, I'm ready to do that work again. Um, I think here's. I think we all have comfort zones. 
what we have done, how we've lived, we know and may be less threatening and less unknown. We also have a hard time um, abandoning things, uh, giving up what we like doing, eating and drinking. Sometimes it's hard to let something go that is so comfortable. Um, another, I think, coming from a different direction, one of our one of our reasons we um, move away is that we see the imperfections and flaws of our fellow saints. Uh, and um, I guess I was I was I was thinking many of the same things myself that there's uh, it's it's human nature. In fact, I think that all or whoever's writing here is often reacting to human nature overall. Mm-hmm. That that we like our comfort, we like our status quo. We should, we like to just continue. I mean, it's it, but, uh, there. Yes. Well, those are all really good uh, explanations for why we change. You know, I think uh, often we we don't want to grow, and that's that's why. Like, for example. According, oh, I, for example, there's always now in general conference at least one talk about being civil to each other, particularly in civil in political discourse, and not labeling people according to their, you know, their um, whether they're Republicans or Democrats. I know for much of my life. I was told, um, how can you be a faithful Mormon and be a Democrat? And now I kind of feel the same way. How can you be a faithful Mormon and be a Republican? And and getting over that, that's one of those limitations that uh, we're more comfortable just staying with the prejudices we have than moving on. Okay, now Linda is going to, there's a discussion of angels in the next section. Um, and Linda's going to lead that discussion. Discussion As she goes ahead, there's lots of questions that you might, that might come up in the, in the chat. Like, what is the role of angels in regards to humans? What should we do or learn from them? How should we th- think about them? Can you give some examples of angel visitations or influence, both from the Old Testament and our day? Um, In Hebrews 2, 6 through 8, the author of Hebrews says, God meets humans a little lower than the angels. How do you interpret that claim? What does it mean? Um, And and then again, going back to the reason for this epistle, it seems to have been written to convince a group of Hebrew Christians uh, not to revert back to Judaism. How would the argument the writer makes suggest to these um, Hebrew Christians that they should remain faithful to Christ? So now Linda has lots of interesting things to say, so we'll turn the time over to her. Well, I'm so glad you uh, made sure that our listeners, our viewers, are part of this conversation because I want to hear their thoughts and, and opinions and experiences too. Um, recently, I've been reading an interesting book whose title will probably look backwards to you. It's, oh, it doesn't. It doesn't? Uh-uh. It's Monsters by Monsters. Esther Amori. And it's um, the subtitle is Vengeful Spirits, Deadly Angels, Hybrid Creatures, and Divine Hitmen of the Bible. So it's an exploration of uh, what the scriptures account, uh, how they describe the use and function and sometimes the physical look of angels, which we think of as sort of soft and hallmarky. Um, <laughs> but in fact, a lot of times, especially in the Old Testament, uh, people who we would consider angels or, or visitors um, from a different realm are um, conspicuously un 
humanoid <laughs> with multiple eyes and uh, strange extra body functions. And let's see if I can um, find here. Uh, th this is the terrifying, uh, this is the heavenly retinue we'll meet in the first part of the, this book. Terrifying serpentine seraphim flap around God's throne and burn a witness with glowing coals. Hybrid, hybrid cherubim serve as monstrous bouncers and bodyguards. <laughs> we'll see God dispatch the adversary, his enhanced interrogation expert, to torture and kill at his behest. We'll watch as God deploys stealthy spirits as Sysop specialists to manipulate and gaslight his targets. And as devastating as the demons he six on the population are, they don't hand, hold a candle to those most lethal shape-shifting soldiers, God's angels, who execute thousands in the blink of an eye when they are not attacking on a more intimate level. Throughout the Jewish and Christian Bibles from Genesis through Revelation, God commands an entourage of monsters. <laughs> well, wow. So, uh... That's that's a pretty juicy uh, prompt for discussion right there. And when you when you go through the scriptures uh, accounts, when um, in that in that liminal space between uh, God, the the holiness, and underneath the human beings, that's the that's the area where these uh, hitmen and um, comforters uh, coexist and that's a, a, a juicy way to think about it and I um, it has given me fresh thoughts about when I read accounts in the scriptures where an angel interrupts someone's regular day to tell them something of great import um, and in fact uh, in those first few verses in Hebrews uh, here are some of the aspects of uh, angels' job descriptions. <laughs> they are spiritual messengers who dispense information and revelation on God's behalf. They are highly significant beings but play a subordinate, inferior role to the Son of God. So that's clear in one of the things that's being set out in, in this uh, chapter we're looking at, that there's God, there's angels below them, and but Christ and God are at the same level. Uh, so no angel is higher than Christ. And we are underlings having our mortal experience. No angel in the Bible holds a position as exalted as Jesus. However, angels bow in reverence to him because they recognize his nature to be far greater than their own. Angels worship Jesus at his birth, proving they are lower-ranking beings than the Son of God. As messengers who do God's bidding, angels serve the Son of God. While Jesus ministered on the earth, angels were always on call, ready to serve him. After the, the Lord was tempted in the wilderness, angels came and attended him. Just before his arrest, as Jesus prayed on the Mount of Olives, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. God sends angels to warn, comfort, and guide people by communicating his messages to them. Um, an angel announced Jesus' birth to the shepherds, and a host of angels sang praises. And I want to in insert a, a personal experience. This summer, Chris and I were on a, a tour, mostly archaeological, in the Holy Land. And one of the places we visited was Bethlehem, which is in Palestine, its own separate little segment. And we uh, went to the, the Shepherd's Chapel, which oversees the hilly area, which is very likely where the shepherds were biding, keeping their sheep by night. And it, I just am, am imagining the angels so excited about this event that they cannot keep themselves hidden from the world when they sing to and shout and uh, to convey the good news that Christ was born, that they just broke the barriers between the, the 
the layers between their status and the and the mortal human beings and how nice it is that humble shepherds were the ones to hear them rather than uh, the more prestigious in the community. I, I like that a lot. And it was easy to envision both. Well, there were probably were sheep on that very hill that we were looking at. And so it, it really had a, an important impact to me. Um, in the past, I have mused on angels and I have written a couple of poems that I'll just share with you before my part wraps up. Um, this one called Miracles uh, was actually published in the Exponent in, in, two, in the year 2000, so it's, it's been a while. It ha is vintage now. <laughs> How is it miracles work? Are they the giddy industry of a membrane angel world around us? Parking spaces, lost keys, kind words and casseroles impeccably timed. What about those snooker stunts, Moses before Ar Pharaoh, abracadabras with wands and water? Royal wizards duplicate them all. All but that last one, the one with the dead sons. This is a miracle? This brutal showstopper? Oh, please spare me. In this rent system where horror reigns, I cannot tell the difference. The casserole comes, but the limb is lost. The missing, key, the missing key appears, but the spouse leaves. I have lost my bearings. I do not understand the musculature of the miraculous. Perhaps I should embrace them all and bow my head before the once dead son who spares me. And then, okay. All right. I think that's probably plenty um, for me for right now. And I'm looking forward to more of what's comments from, um, uh, peanut gallery is not exactly the right phrase, <laughs> but those in the unseen world to my eyes right now, the people who are joining us from far away and, uh, for Susan's wisdom and insights as well. So. Thanks for letting me have a moment, Susan. Thanks. Yeah, thank you so much. That was really insightful and instructive, and it made me think about angels in new ways, particularly in their um, sort of destructive roles. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to, can we have the chat, some of the comments from the people? Sure. I'm, uh, I'm actually impressed with the phrase, be not afraid, when I... <laughs> in this description of angels. Um, Georgia says, I think we, we have guardian angels who may assist the Holy Spirit and are maybe called to watch over us. I think sometimes they help us be wiser in a moment or help us find a second wind when we need to go on. So angels may be silent notes taking, but I think they're really there to support us. I've not dreamed of an attending angel, but I felt protection, comfort, companionship at times they were sorely needed. Um, another, I, uh, after a year of specifically and directly asking for signs from angels, earthly friends and relatives who have left this earth, I'm convinced that angels are not lower, but adjacent to the Savior in guiding and supporting us on this side of things. I've received the signs I've requested in small and simple ways, and in beautiful and spectacular ways. As I've let certainty go in almost all areas of belief, I am certain that there are angelic beings who are very invested and interested in my journey here. That's beautiful. So are there more, or? Oh, we're good. You're okay. Well, we'll see more, but you know the typing takes a little time. <laughs> yeah. That reminds me of an incident which Chris tends to shrug off, but for me, it's memorable and uh, c connects me to my higher powers. Uh, when we lived in Chicago, I was a worker at the temp at the Chicago Temple, and one night, well, I got a call asking if I could be the um, the organizer for the sisters for that particular shift because someone was going on vacation and I was told that I would get a phone call from the guys who 
take care of the scheduling for the guy's side so that we could coordinate. I didn't get a phone call, and I was unsure how many people, how many sisters would show up for the shift, and it was kind of nerve-wracking. So as I drove to the temple, listening, trying to calm myself by listening to a Neil Gaiman book on just as I traveled with that gorgeous British voice, if you know his sound. Uh, so I went in very trepidatious about what might meet me, and uh, several sisters who were supposed to be at the shift were not there. I had never gotten the phone call from the guy telling me what the guy's schedule was, and it was just a little bit of chaos that I was trying to um, wing my way over. And it actually ended up being uh, a non-embarrassing day. It was, it was the thing, the, the eternal things that needed to get done got done. And, it, and as I was leaving the, um, the temple after my shift, I got into the car, turned it on, and I hear Neil Gaiman's voice saying, all things considered, that went very well. <laughs> <laughs> I personally like to think that I, I have this little uh, bevy of very funny little spirit imps <laughs> who, who keep me company and who buoy me with those occasional funny little perfectly timed uh gooses <laughs> little little tweaks to know that um god's aware of me and and maybe that's just my own quirky superstitious mind but i'm taking it i'm taking it well and it is you know we i mean i think angels come to us and we can identify them maybe where other people can't um, I wanted to, uh, like, my thoughts about angels are that they're, they're often people who love us and care about us. Um, my husband, Kles, his mother died when he was 10, and he, he didn't have much guidance or supervision, especially not from uh, a female that he could listen to. And one day... In junior high and seventh grade, they were supposed to have a a pep rally in the stadium, the the football stadium, and they went out there, and the the teach the kids were so rowdy that the principal said, "That's it, go back to class. We're not staying." And all the kids started going back, but class had made friends with these kids who who were kind of the juvenile delinquents. And he um, he started to go with them. They said, well, we're not going, they said, we're not going back to class, you know. You know, who does he think he is? We're going, they were just going to go someplace and do something they weren't supposed to do. They were kind of the, um, the bad kids of the... <laughs> of the school and he said he literally felt his mother's presence saying don't you go with them you go back to school and it stopped him i mean he felt it so clearly that even though they made fun of him he just turned around and went and went back to school and then and uh, not long after just a couple of a month or so after he met a really great group of friends that he's still close to today. And Levina, in her spiritual autobiography, she, um, there's two examples where she was trying to decide whether to marry Paul or not. And I wanted to read those because they're so, you know, they're so good. Um, and, and she says, but possibly the most important question that I asked was, what kind of person is Paul? In answer to that question, I had the closest thing to a vision I have ever experienced. A personage with a definite personality told me, almost in so many words, let me show you how I feel about Paul. And then I experienced the, that person's feelings for Paul, the deepest, most profound sensations of love, 
and a respectful savoring of personality. There was not a question in my mind that I was in the presence of someone who knew Paul differently and better than I did, or possibly could know him, someone who loved him totally. I acquired an awesome amount of respect for Paul quite suddenly. And then the second example um, is later in that process. She said, there were other issues to be worked through, but one sunny day, as I knelt again in prayer, I asked again, should I marry Paul, expecting to learn of a new question I should ask? Instead, I was distinctly told, you have enough information to make that decision now. I was stunned. I was supposed to make the decision, yes. There was a long internal pause, a kind of mental breath holding. Then I said, still on my knees, yes, I will marry Paul. The reaction could not have been more vivid, an explosion of pleasure and excitement, uh, like being in the center of a fireworks display. It, it surprised me, pleased me, gratified me, and humbled me simultaneously. I knew that all of those emotions were not my own, and the delight shared with other presences who cared about the decision was reassuring in ways I don't even know how to begin to describe. So that happiness and that just overflowing of joy is just like what, Linda, what you talked about, the angels feeling at the birth of Christ. Um, I see that it's 945 and we've gotten through two of my 10 pages. <laughs> I don't quite know. Uh, we've gotten to the beginning of what I was going to say, but let Oh, I'd love to talk about faith on the way out. Um, and this will kind of be the last thing. Um, and it's from chapter 11. Uh, this chapter uses many of the prominent figures of the Old Testament to demonstrate what faith consists of. Um, and the, the opening says faith is the the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then there's also an additional information about faith is related to Enoch. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And I really don't quite understand what it means that faith is the, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So I'd really love some feedback on that in, in the chat function. And then um, the, this chapter uses many of the prominent figures of the Old Testament to demonstrate what faith consists of. Um, like Abel offered a sacrifice to God, uh, the acceptance of which let him know that he was righteous. And even though he's dead, his acts still speaks to us. And Enoch was translated because of his great faith. And Noah was warned of God, of things not seen yet, prepared the ark, saved his family, and condemned the world to death. And Abraham, in faith, left his home for an unknown land, and wandered where he would receive his inheritance, uh, a type of receiving an eternal covenant and an eternal home. And Sarah had faith to believe that in her old age, she could conceive a child whose promised blessings continued the Abrahamic covenant um, of as many descendants as the stars. So. Are there any, like, have there, has there been time for anyone to write any um, responses to what faith is? What does it mean to be that faith is a substance of things hoped for and the, and the evidence of things not seen? Do you have any chat responses? Well, yes. Um, am I, yes, I'm unmuted. Um, faith I'm going to suggest here, James. James here 
James Glenn has a interesting and and valuable contribution here. But I'm James, you're here with us. You should you should come back on the screen and speak yourself. But then, while you're doing that, um, Marie says faith is faith as a substance of things hoped for equals living as if things hoped for exist, which leads spiritual evidence. Um, and I, um, here's another, I like Terry Tempest Williams' definition of faith in her book, Erosion. I trust what I see and I believe what I feel. Trusting direct experience is the open door to revelation. This was my foundation for faith. It still is. Um, and, uh, and, and Catherine adds the, um, the NRSB language, which is now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Um, James, come on on. Okay. Yeah, um, I, this has been a really uh, fascinating discussion for me. A um, couple of weeks ago, I for a while, I've wanted to better understand quantum theory, and I don't think my brain is quite big enough to kind of handle the highly technical stuff. But there's a recent book that I read that kind of brought it down into more, um, I don't know, a more understandable or intelligible uh, plane. And the thing I walked away from that was that this, this idea of angels could be beings who walk with us in parallel realms and that those realms touch ours in different places and for different reasons. And the connections between faith and light and energy mesh so well with those notions of quantum fields that were surrounded and filled with light and with infinite possibilities of communion. And that notion brought me back to the recollection of one of my favorite songs by Peter Mayer. You may know it. It's called Everything is Holy Now. And he talks about... Um, you know, that I he says, when I was in Sunday school, we would learn about the time Moses split the sea in two and Jesus made the water wine. I remember feeling sad. Miracles don't happen still. And now I can't keep track because everything's a miracle. Um, and then at the, the end of that, he said, this morning outside I stood, I saw a little red winged bird shining like a burning bush and singing like a scripture verse. It made me want to bow my head. I remember when church let out, how things have changed since then. Everything is holy now. Bell. That's really wonderful. Um, I need to just skip to the ending because it's 9.51. Um, like I think, um, you know, so all these... Uh, Hebrews, Hebrew Christians were trying to decide whether they would uh, remain identified with the Christian community or revert back to, uh, to their Jewish origins and, and original faith. And what a struggle it was for them. And uh, how hard it is to make, you know, to have faith, to make that leap and how hard faith is. And I just wanted to close with one of a poem I wrote about. It's called Hope is the Thing with Feathers. You know, Emily Dickinson's um, poem, Hope is the Thing with Feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. That makes hope or faith sound easy, but I thought hope was a lot harder than that. And this is the last PowerPoint um, thing I had. So I'd like to read that poem. Um, okay, hope is the thing with feathers and hope is the thing with claws that dig from the trunks high bark to score the bee's nest, steal the honey, the thing that always that sways and clings and never falls and full at last comes down. And hope is the thing with skin flaps that join front legs to back, ungainly until it turns itself into a glider, flying through the night forest, swooping in to land on another berry and fungi banquet. 
And the hope is the thing with toxic gas in glass in glands on both sides of its butt. If the dog comes on, it saves itself by aiming at the face. And hope is the thing that shoots out its blue tongue to smell what its nose cannot. The thing with a forked tongue that cleans and moistens lidless eyes so they don't shrivel in sandstone sun. And hope is the night thing that thuds again and again against my screen, striped, determined, antenna-like fans. It wants to come in and bat itself into the lamplight or my hair. It's hope, so I open the door, welcome it, though it terrifies. I fling the door wide, letting all the painful hope inside. So it takes courage to have hope. And, you know, I think that's what the writer of um, this, the writer of Hebrews was trying to help those saints do is to, to face that you can be disappointed if you have faith and you can be hurt and you still need to be courageous and have that faith. Um, it's been a pleasure to hear from you all and to learn so much. And I really appreciate the opportunity. So I'll turn the time back over to Chris. <laughs> Thank you, Susan. Thank you very much. Um, we're going to close with uh, how Firma Foundation, and I've asked Amy Johnson to offer closing prayer. Um, I'm bringing Amy onto the onto the panel now. Uh, Dear beloved God, we're grateful to be together today. We're grateful for the hope that we find in this community and in the scriptures. We're grateful for angels attending us. We pray today for everyday miracles in our lives and in our world, outright miracles in Gaza, in Ukraine, in other places of which we're less aware. And we pray also you will help us overcome those things in our lives that separate us from the love of God. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Amy, thank you very much for joining us. Um, and thank you, Susan. Greetings. My name is Rebecca Deschweinitz, and I'm thrilled to serve as a board member at the Dialogue Foundation and as one of the hosts of Dialogue Gospel Study. In each episode, which we record live the second and fourth Sunday of every month, we welcome esteemed speakers from a variety of backgrounds to share their insights and perspectives on the Come Follow Me lessons. Our aim is to spark meaningful conversations about the scriptures, to connect them to our personal experiences and to our understandings and explorations of the gospel. To stay in the loop with our upcoming lessons and this opportunity to engage with Mormon thought, culture, and belief, be sure to visit dialoguejournal.com and sign up for our newsletter. By doing so, you'll receive updates and timely links to join our live stream lessons. Additionally, you can catch up on our past guests and episodes by subscribing to Dialogue Journal on YouTube, Facebook, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Dialogue Podcast Network.